All right, take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 is our text. And just want to say to our listeners on WTYG, as well as those watching by live stream, you can go to our website if you want to participate in helping with the missions, uh, fully protected online giving on our site. And so uh, you can do that if you want to uh, help with missions. I'd say praise the Lord, go for it. And, and get the gospel around the world. But it sure is good. I, I tell you what, a lot of times we'll see uh, a day like this. Now, this is spring break here. And so you're wondering, boy, do we have that many people sick? Brother Kevin is sick. He's at home sick. And um, so keep him in your prayers. But uh, some of our people, uh, they get the spring break and they go out of town. They go somewhere. And uh, maybe they went camping right where the tornado's hitting. I don't know. Uh, but hopefully a lot of them are watching us live stream unless they're in a good Bible preaching church somewhere. But uh, nonetheless, it is good to be faithful at all times. And, and you prove that being here today, you that are here, uh, even though there's uh, something going on everywhere around this world. You know, I was thinking about the Ukraine and so many people going into there. And we just had one of our missionaries that was here was Brother Brent George for our missions conference last week. And while he was here, he was on the telephone working with those over in Ukraine, getting things set up for refugees and helping them out. And uh, I've got to communicate with him just a little bit more. And some have asked about, is there some way we can be a help to those refugees or to uh, the Jews or so forth that are crossing the border and having to leave the Ukraine and things of that nature. And, and my answer is, is we're looking into it, but we just don't give support unless the gospel is going with it and there are good people that we know that are in charge of it. And so that's why I'm going to work with Brother George on that. I don't have anything for you right now, but I certainly will let you know when we do, okay? And, and certainly we want to reach lost souls because it is an opportunity to reach lost souls. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll get started here in Ephesians chapter 1. Father, I thank you now, Lord, that we have a Savior who not only died for us and rose from the death, but then when he left this earth, he also sent his Holy Spirit back with his words to give to men, to pass on to us. This day we're able to sit in this auditorium and speak, knowing that we have word for word the word of God preserved for us because you don't ever lie, and you said you'd preserve it on earth as well as in heaven. So, Lord, we know that the way to eternal life is through Jesus Christ. We know that by your word. And so, Lord, if there's anyone listening today who, are, who is not sure that if they died today that heaven's their home, or if there's anybody present in this auditorium, who's not sure if they died today that heaven's their home. May today be the day they receive Jesus Christ as Savior. And we would ask this in that name above every name, the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Okay, right here in Ephesians chapter 1, I've titled this sermon, God's Terms. Now we're going to see why I've titled it that as we get on into the message. But starting in verse 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. It's easy to read over that and not realize the impact of just that one little statement. Apostle. 
you know, that was kind of like a step up from being a disciple. In Matthew chapter 10, he, he talks about the disciples, then he says, call them, then he calls them apostles. And I, I find that interesting. Well, a disciple is a student of Christ who follows his teaching, who does according as the Word of God teaches. An apostle is someone who's taking God's message. He is somebody who is going out there at the direction of the Lord to establish what God has directed him to establish. Back in that day, uh, the apostles were those that were planting the churches. Now, people talk about apostles today. I don't think that we have men getting new revelation from God. But here is an apostle of Jesus Christ, a guy who was a murderer before his salvation, a guy who tried to destroy Christianity before his salvation. When God changes a person, God changes them. When that person repents and, and turns to the Lord, he will do it. And so, by the will of God, to the saints which are in Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. In other words, it's just not limited to Ephesus. To those who will be faithful to Christ, hey, this is for you. This is for you. Grace be unto you. Grace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you know, grace is giving us what we don't deserve, eternal life. Just think back in the first century there when, when Paul had, uh, Stephen put to death, consented to that, and then was having people drug off to, different pla to jail and their goods taken, their homes taken, all these things taken. And he was on his road uh, to the Damascus to get more Christians and get them locked up and get them uh, separated from their families and everything else. In that, certainly that was the grace of God. But how did those Christians think? Well, we do know from the Bible that first they thought, well, this is the guy that goes around persecuting people. He's the one that drags them off. And yet when they did see him, they could see that God had changed his life. Even Barnabas had to take him into the apostles to be able to say, hey, this guy's all right. This guy's all right. God's changed him. And so that gave peace. See, with God's grace, he gives you peace in your heart. And let me just say this. In your heart, you get peace from God. God does speak to us. You know, when a person gets under conviction about, I'm, I'm not saved. I'm going to hell. He's heard the gospel. The gospel's been shared, uh, shared with him. The Spirit of God is teaching, is speaking to that person's heart. Maybe you hear a preacher preaching. Maybe there's a sin that he mentions. Maybe there's something that needs to be added to your life. And that starts going on in your heart. And maybe there's a battle going on. I mean, Paul had a battle with it for a while before he hit Damascus. Seems like that Stephen, praying for him when they were killing him, and the peace that he had was something that he could not get out of his heart and mind. Even though to everybody else they thought, man, this guy, this guy, boy, he's rough. Don't mess with him. And yet it broke through that. But yet that's the result of Jesus saying, when I leave, I'm going to leave. Give you guys the Holy Spirit that will work in you and through you. Now, if God speaks to our heart, keep this in mind. 
and he does speak to our heart through his word, it's very important, it's of utmost importance that you stay in the word of God, that you pray, and you have a heart that's open to whatever God says to do, I will do it. And you will find that suddenly the voice of God in your heart, now it's not going to be an audible voice. No, it's going to be a voice in your heart that gives you direction. Gives you call. Look, I knew when I was called to preach. I knew that. But I never heard a voice, Andy Bloom, I'm calling you. I would probably have fallen out dead at that time if that had happened to me. So, but I knew God had called me. I knew God was leading. And throughout ministry I could outline just by scriptures and other things how God led me. But what I'm saying is, is that God leads you too. God just doesn't speak to preachers. But you want to get to know Him so well that His voice in your heart will be as familiar to you as the voice of your spouse in your ear. He said, what? Oh, yeah. But then you live with your spouse. You should be living with Jesus Christ too. Live with Christ. Now, so he says, peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember John 1.18? No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. You begin to see it now. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is active in your salvation and He's active in your Christian life after you receive Christ as your Savior. You've got the Trinity involved in you. Now, let's look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. When you receive Christ, you are in Him. We're going to see something else about that in just a moment. But when you receive Christ, you are in Him. And as you live in obedience to Christ, He does special things for you in heavenly places by His Father. He intercedes to the Father for you, and the Father does things for you in heaven. And so we have those blessings in heavenly places. So keep that in mind. So, uh, according to his, uh, the, as he hath chosen us, in verse 4, chosen us. That's where the Calvinist gets the word election. The doctrine, what they call the doctrine of election. We'll say more about that later. But he's chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blemish before him in love. God's will is clearly stated there. He saves us not to give us liberty to do whatever we want to, to live in lasciviousness, saying, well, we've got grace, we've got liberty now. No. He saves you to be holy. In Hebrews 13, we find out without holiness, no man sees the Lord. In my own holiness, I'd never see the Lord, but in the holiness of Christ, I will see the Lord, you see. And so again, I am the, to, make, to make us to be holy and without blame before Him in love. 
I can't be without blame. I know myself. I can't be without blame on my own record. So look at verse 5. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Now there's two favorite words of those that are, adopt, that are Calvinists. Now first of all, uh, we see there predestinated and then adoption and also chosen. Those are favorite words of Calvinism. We'll say more about that again in a few minutes. Uh, so to the praise, verse 6, of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. That's where your election comes in. That's where your adoption comes in. That's where your predestination comes in. When you got saved, then in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ, you're accepted. When I get to heaven, I'm not going to be accepted on my merit. I am in Christ. You are in Christ if you're saved. That's the way you're going to be accepted in heaven. Now, we do read from 1 John 2, 28, some saved people will be ashamed at his appearing. Other saved people will have confidence. 1 Corinthians 3 tells us about counting the loss. God had, because he loves you, he had a will for you that would lay up reward, and didn't seek that will, didn't seek what he'd have you to do, and that's the loss of reward that we see as we go forward for the Lord. And so, we are accepted in the Beloved, verse 7, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Those that want to change the Bible, if you go to Colossians chapter 1, verse 14, they take forgiveness through His blood out. They take through His blood out. They do leave forgiveness in, but through His blood they take out. Without the blood of Jesus Christ, there's no forgiveness. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness, we read in the book of Hebrews. The blood of Jesus Christ was the only blood. You know, the Bible tells us in Leviticus that the life is in the blood. Why does it tell us that? Because the only blood that has the life that would give us eternal life was in Jesus Christ, the sinless, perfect Son of God. That was the offering, and yet fully human because he took on a human spirit, a human body, flesh for us. Now, I titled this sermon, God's Terms. Have you ever heard anyone say, I don't think a good God would send anybody to a place that is described in the Bible as a hell, a literal fire, and yet they can't cease to exist? They're tormented day and night for never and ever. I can't see that a good God would do that. Well, you see, they are trying to determine what is good for God to do or not to do as if they are the ones that determine good and bad, good and evil, moral or immoral, ethical or unethical. But my friend, they are mere mortals, unknowing of the holiness of God. So they try to identify for God what is bad or what is good for Him to do. 
And if God would cast people into hell, then evidently God uh, can't be good. Because he doesn't do what they have labeled as good. He just doesn't do those things. And yet, I find it quite interesting that many of these same people who say those things and do those things would label us that have standards, that have separation from the world, they would label us as legalists. I wonder if calling people's names is good. I mean, if they're going to have a standard for God, maybe they ought to have a standard for themselves. Uh, so again, you look at these people, they have all these things they want to say. And you go with unsaved, or you go with carnal Christians, and they'll have terms which turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. But that's not the Word of God. They want anything to go. That's the religion they want. If you read through the First, uh, Second Samuel, First, Second Kings, First, uh, Second Chronicles, you'll find that what started out as a good thing, they all of a sudden wanted to be like the other religions. You know, back then I, I was reading in Second uh, Kings uh, just this morning how when Josiah became the king. God told him how he was going to send them, but not during his reign, into captivity. But one thing he did do, he went in and destroyed all the uh, altars in the temple that had been built unto the false gods in the contemporary religions of their day. Judgment begins at the house of God, 1 Peter 4, 17 says. Don't think that God won't judge America if America doesn't have revival. That's why we decided on reseeding America. It must be done. Oftentimes, in Ephesians 1, as well as in other passages, some have taken terms and they've assigned them a definition that might in some cases appeal to modern day thinkers. It might fit in with the modern day philosophy. And oftentimes, they especially like it if it has $25 words into it. But basically, they're trying to override God's definition because it is not as academic as their definitions. When you see God's definitions, it just isn't that academic to them. And so it can't be right in their eyes. That's the first thing I want you to see. I want you to see that when God gives a definition to the word in the Bible, saying this is what he means by it, when he says this is what he means by a word, that's what it means. It doesn't matter how many theologians are out there trying to change the definition. Believe what God says. He's preserved this word. God doesn't lie, and he said he'd preserve it from this generation forever, and that was back in Psalms. Jesus confirmed it, saying, heaven and earth pass away, but not one word, not one dot, one, not one jot or tittle will pass away from his word. So evidently, nothing's passed from it. It is preserved. We have it. So having said that, we must see his word by what it means. Now, let's go for an example in verse 5 of our text. Let's see what God means. Let's see God's terms. 
having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Now we see a couple words there. Some will teach you that you are predestined when you get born, when you're physically born, that you are predestined to either go to heaven or to go to hell, and you can't do anything about it. In other words, if you're predestined to go to heaven, you're going to get saved before you die. If you're predestined to go to hell, no matter how much you want to be saved, you can't be. Now, they don't like me putting it in those words, but that's actually what it means when you draw it to a conclusion. That's what it comes down to. Now, I always thought about that. You think about that. Just think about that. I wonder how somebody that said you're predestinated to go to heaven, go to hell, they're a younger couple, and they have a baby. I go up to the hospital, and they say, oh, look at their, our newborn baby. I said, oh, isn't that a cute baby? I wonder if he's going to be predestinated to go to hell. I wonder how their doctrine would stand up at that point. I've seen Calvin say, if a baby wasn't predestinated to go to heaven or to hell, I, I talked with one about it. I mean, a professor. He said, they didn't repent. Evidently, they go to hell. I said, when did David's baby repent? David says, he's not going to come to me. I'm going to go to him. So when did that baby repent? He's just a baby. When did he repent? He said, that's only one thing. That's only one time you see that. I said, how many times do you have to see it in the Bible? And he actually did say, well, you've got a point there. Now, you wonder about that. So, you think about all this. Do you think that God would send his son to die on a cross and say that he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son? Shouldn't he say God so loved the predestined that he gave his only begotten son? The world includes all the population. Now we see two words here again, verse 5, predestinated and adoption. Does the Bible give those words definition? Well, let's look at Romans chapter 8, verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now, when you think about that, that verse is talking to saved people. Remember the verse before that? Probably a popular verse. It's my dad's and, and Dr. Lee Robertson's most, uh, that was their favorite verse, Romans 8, 28. For we know all things work together for good to those who love God, for those who are the called according to His purpose. So when you put this in context, this is talking to saved people. And the next verse said, Whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son. Now why do they say that that predestination is talking about heaven or hell? No, he's talking about saved people. You get saved, you're being predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's why you read in Philippians chapter 3 and in 1 John chapter 3. First Philippians, uh, Philippians 3 says he'll change our 
vile bodies that may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. First John chapter 3 says, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That's predestination. That's to every person that receives Christ as their Savior. That is what they're predestined to do. That's what predestination is talking about. Not getting saved. You are saved. Therefore, you're predestinated. These are the things that make you accepted into heaven. You can't go as you are. He will change you. The rapture is a change. Yes, God knew from the beginning of time who would get saved. I wouldn't, I wouldn't deny that at all. Because then I'd be denying the Bible. Acts 15, 18 says, Known unto God are all his works from the beginning. Yeah, God knew. It doesn't mean that he made it happen. You see, nowhere do we find that he predestined anybody to sin. Now, some teach that. God made Satan to sin, and he made people to sin. Again, Satan would love for you to believe that doctrine because he's the one that created it. But people that say that show that they totally, 100% so, do not understand the holiness of God. God could never make anything to sin or want anything to sin. God is holy. He wants people saved. The created, he created us with a free will. Remember, we were created in God's image. Uh, what kind of body did Christ have? I mean, did God have in heaven? What, was he blonde-headed? Maybe it was dark hair. Maybe he had a beard. Maybe he was well-developed like me. <laughs> no. Maybe he was, uh, no. John 4, 23 and 24 says, God is a spirit. That spirit has a free will. The image we were made in was not a body. The image we were made in was a free spirit. It was the spirit of God that has a free will. When Adam was formed with the dust of the ground, you realize that there was a body. There was actually even a soul inside that body at that moment. But none were living. Then God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, we read in Genesis chapter 2, and man became a living soul. You see, when the spirit of God came in, the body, the soul became alive. And so we were created in his image. That image is the spirit. Therefore, you and I, we do have a free will that we can come to him at any time. Now, his omniscience, yes, he knows what you will or would not do, what you would choose and not choose. But he doesn't make the choice for you. He provides a choice for you to accept Christ. If you reject him, especially against your will, then that means you have just rejected him by free choice not because he made you. Years ago, right here at Ocala Christian Academy, I heard of a young man that attended here and left and so forth. His family left the Baptist church, went to, I think, a Presbyterian church or something kind of like that. And this young man, yeah, he got involved in a lot of evil stuff. 
And later, talking to him about getting saved, he said, uh, I don't think I'm predestined to be saved. I can't get saved. They had learned that doctrine so well, he thought, I am not predestinated, therefore I can't get saved. Now, I don't know the state of that young man today. I don't know at all, so I can't say he died and went to hell or he's still living and he got saved. I can't say he died. I don't know anything about it. But I know at one time that's what he was saying. So I walk up to the parents and say, hey, what do you think about that? Your son uh, is predestined to go to hell. Does that, does that give you a good feeling? No. No. Remember, the purpose in creation in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created. So everything is pre created for God's pleasure, for the Father's creation uh, pleasure, for the Son's uh, pleasure. Created for all of that. And so what do we read in Ezekiel chapter 33 verse 11? Say unto the, them, as I live, saith the Lord God, and he lives forever and ever. He's the eternal God. As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that he, that the wicked, should turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways. For why will ye die? O house of Israel. So, when you think about that, of these definitions, why will you die? I mean, think of Jesus in Matthew chapter 23 and verse 37. Looking over Jerusalem and with tears in his eyes, just broken hearted. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How often will I have gathered you together, even as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings? And you would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. Well, that's sad, because they had a choice. They had a choice. It shows that they evidently were predestined, or he wouldn't be praying that. The Lord didn't waste words. And so, again, we see man tries to corrupt the very word of God. And notice also, he has no pleasure in their death. Now, if all things were created for his pleasure, and there's no pleasure in the death of the wicked, because they're going to go to hell, then why would he create them to go to hell? There's no pleasure in that for them. And my friend, it breaks the heart of God every time someone dies without Christ and goes to hell. So if the pleasure is of all mankind, of, all, of God, is for no man to die and go to hell, then why did Jesus send, God send, the Father send his Son to die for our sins? There'd already be pleasure in him for the wicked going to hell. Wouldn't matter. You see, 
Everything is for his pleasure. Most uh, people give a definition of the present day that applies to all these things. But think about it. Election? What about the cross? The blood of Jesus Christ was shed for my sin 2,000 years ago. Uh, believe it or not, I wasn't living then, so I had not sinned. I had not sinned 2,000 years ago. So how could he die for my sin when I had not sinned? Preacher, don't be an idiot. The blood was applied in heaven and it's applied to your account when you receive him as Savior. That's right. That's exactly right. Guess what else took place before the foundation of the world? Election. And when I receive Christ as my Savior, that's applied to my account. Because I am accepted in the beloved, but that's the only way I'm accepted. I have to receive him. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Now, he didn't put specifics in there of, well, if you're elected and you receive him. No. As many as would receive him. You see, the Lord says in 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so, when you look at it, they have another word. And I'm going to use this, the last word this morning, that I'm going to look at. We were told, not only they're of predestined, but we're predestined to be conformed to this. What about adoption? See, today, the present day, they have a tendency to say, well, what governments today say adoption is, or what government back then, and what they did in Bible days, or in other days, historical days, what adoption was, and the laws that were involved in it, and that's adoption. Now, a lot of times it sounds very intelligent, but don't you think we ought to let the Bible say what it means by it? Then let's do that. Romans chapter 8, verse 23, says, and not only they... But ourselves also, which had the first fruit of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. You received Christ. The day you received Christ, guess what? You received the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, you'll see in that same Romans chapter 8, with groanings that can't be uttered, makes groanings for us that are saved before the Father in heaven. But that Holy Spirit you received the very moment you were saved. And so, we are waiting for the adoption, which he said here in this verse, to wit, to wit, that means which is the redemption of our body, which is the rapture, the resurrection. I really, as many as received him to them, gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them believe on his name. I'm already a son, so my adoption, I like the second definition here, that God's given. I became a son when I received him. Now, I'm waiting for the resurrection when he changes this vile body and fashions it like unto his. 
And so, that day, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. The question becomes, will you be left behind? Can you give a Bible reason today while you know that if you died today that heaven's your home? Are you certain, are you 100% sure that if you died today, that heaven's your home? I'm not asking you, were you baptized? I'm not asking you, have you been a good person? Have you done good works? Have you given offerings? No. I'm asking you, was there a day you realized that you was a sinner and you needed a Savior? Without that, you'd go to hell. But believing that Jesus Christ shed his blood on the cross for your sins and died, was buried, and he rose up from the dead bodily. And now is ascended into heaven, preparing a place for you. Based on his promise, he said, Lord, I can't do anything about my sin, but I'm going to turn to you. That's what repentance is. You're turning to God to take your sin from you. He said, hey, I'll turn to God, but hey, I, I'm still, I want to do all these evil things. I still want to do those things. They're fun. Not fun to the people that are in hell. Not fun to the people that will be in heaven that did get saved finally, but lost reward. Saved so as by fire. So I ask, number one, do you know if you die today that heaven's your home? Number two, if you do know that, do you know also whether or not you'll be confident or ashamed at his appearing, saved so as by fire? Do you know the voice of God in your heart? We can't expect America to get changed when we Christians won't let God work in us and through us. When we decide, well, okay, I'll do that, Lord, but not that. You can't be used. It's I surrender all, not part. It's all. That's a question to ask yourself. I can't see your heart, but God does. Now you're not listening to me. You better listen to God, okay? And do what he says. Let's bow our heads, please.